This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It's almost Thanksgiving. It is. A time to give thanks for all that we've been given. Mm -hmm. And immediately afterwards, <laughs> go spend a lot of money. Yes. <laughs> Black Friday. Buy Smart History Babes merchandise online. There you go. From the comfort of your own home. In the spirit of the holiday, we are putting everything black in our store on sale. So our black crop tops and black t-shirts will be 20% off. Boom, boom. Woo. And our black tote bags will be 15% off. Dang. You know it. That, that's a deal. It's a deal and a steal. Head over to arthistorybabes.com slash merchandise. We will be running the sale from November 20th to November 27th, Cyber week. Monday. You don't have to leave your Thanksgiving meal early to go stand in line. You can. Please don't. Yeah, don't do don't it. Don't do it. Don't do it. I can't believe Save people yourself. still do that. Yeah. Ugh. No, go do something fun on Black Friday. Take the day off and go... Yeah to a art go to, museum go get a pedicure yeah go to a movie Just make some pasta enjoy Ooh. enjoy your people <laughs> yeah and some pasta yeah. <laughs> it's a wise healthy choice black friday from us to you check it out we love you from Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Nat, and we are the Art History Babes. Or half of the Art History Babes. <laughs> Two babes today. today. Ooh. Jinx. Jinx. You only have hope. <laughs> I feel like we said it at the same time. I don't know why I laughed like I won. <laughs> jinx. Double jinx. Uh, what is, what's the, how do you, like, undo jinx? Isn't there, like, a some kind of saying? Like, jinx, double jinx, something, something, something? I don't know. I don't know. Did I make that up? <laughs> I don't think you did, but I have no idea what it is. Well, no. we owe each other cokes. Do you remember so. being a child and like taking it so seriously? And if yeah. someone wouldn't be silent, you were like, fuck you. <laughs> like, <laughs> How dare you? You do not respect the laws of Jesus. <laughs> This will you, be our last play date. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Can you tell I was a rule follower as a child? I'm still kind of a rule yeah, follower. Yeah, you are. Earth sign. We were just talking about astrology. Yeah. Yeah. You guys, you like order. Mm -hmm. Understandably so. I do. It's Which nice. is, I try and like combat it all the time because like when I think really hard about things, like I don't believe that everything needs to be in order that makes me feel like a little neo-nazi when i start like thinking <laughs> that way but like yeah disorder and like things like that can make me so unbelievably uncomfortable or like i don't respect authority to a fault but like it's so hard for me to be like disrespectful yeah like, that's very capricorn it's so weird <laughs> see i like i'm definitely settling into my my capricorn moon and like I don't, I'm finding a lot of solace and order. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily authority. I've mm -hmm. always been, I have always had a problem with authority, let's be real. Like, just not in like a, a real way in the sense that like I was never like a lawbreaker. Like yeah. that's never been my vibe. But in the sense of like question everything, question yeah. everyone. Anyone who tries to tell me anything with any bit of authority, I'm like always looking for like the... See, I've gotten more like that. Yeah. Which makes sense. So for those of you that don't know... Corey is a sun Scorpio and Capricorn moon, and I am a Capricorn sun and Scorpio moon, so we are growing more like one another every day, <laughs> pretty much. 
That's a beautiful balance. <laughs> At 30, we will just full on switch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very true. Like I've, I don't know, especially because I'm going through my Saturn's return right now. So I'm finding a lot of comfort in my moon sign mm-hmm. and like being organized and working hard and just being like a little more earthy and not diving so far into those watery depths is nice. I think it's balancing me back out a little bit. Um, also, not to scare you because the watery depths are fun places. Yeah, yeah, I've been on I've been on the earth my whole life. So I'm, ready, I'm ready for some new elements to go on. Yeah, it's it's fun. Water signs are fun. I like being a water sign. Yeah, there's too many rules in being an earth sign. I mean, you like implement these rules on yourself. Yeah, to just always be like we're gonna keep using the cliches like grounded, like to just feel like you're being responsible and grounded and always doing the right thing. That's so it's true. exhausting. It's so true. Earth so signs exhausting. love the rules, but yeah, yeah. but likewise being a water sign it's really exhausting living in existence without rules sometimes because there's just no end to that and it gets like really overwhelming and it gets really like you're really quick to fall into this place of like what does anything mean you know so having organization and rules can bring you back to earth Huh. I think that's, I mean, the transitory stages are so hard for me, and I always look at them, mm-hmm. like, from afar, like, oh, yes, when I'm done with grad school, I'm going to get so much done, and all my free time, I'm going to organize everything, and I'm going to purge all my stuff, and, like, that is happening so slowly, and I think it's because I have no order right now, like, yeah. Like, today's actually been nice because I had, like, things to do and mm-hmm. places to be, but when that's not just naturally part of my schedule, I just feel, like, overwhelmed, And I just want to curl up in bed and not do anything. Dude, I totally feel you. Actually, that's why, interestingly, that's why I've kind of enjoyed post-grad school more. Because grad school is a lot of work, but I also feel like it's a lot of liminal times, like liminal spaces. And like you have to decide when you work on things. And there's big chunks of time where you technically don't have to do anything and and for me I would get lost in those chunks of time a lot yeah I kind of could too sometimes yeah and this now that I'm done with grad school and then I just you know started this job Mm -hmm. like I'm teaching English remotely and my hours are crazy and so now I have to put myself on this really intense schedule Mm -hmm. and then it's just causing me Like, I'm way cleaner and more organized. Not that I was ever, like, dirty or disorganized. I've always been kind of organized. But I'm, like, really on top of my cleaning and my organization. I was going to say, I've been to your place twice now in the last two weeks, and it looks pretty spotless. (laughs) Thanks. Uh Unlike mine, as you saw, which is just, like, boxes and anarchy. (laughs) Just complete anarchy. (laughs) But, yeah, I've just been, like... My schedule has been so much more organized, and as a result, I'm getting a lot more done. Like, I've been putting a lot of time into the podcast, and, like, I just, like, am putting aside timeframes to work on specific projects in a way that I didn't really do in grad school. In Mm -hmm. grad school, it was kind of like, I'm going to go to class, and then I'm going to get lunch, and then I'll, like, go to my other class, and then maybe I'll grade, and then I'm just going to watch TV, and then, you know, it was a little more, like, ah, it was kind of chaotic, whereas my schedule now, also, I'm just, like, not going out as much and stuff, so I'm just just being an adult. secluded spot in the burbs. Exactly. I moved out to the burbs, and it's basically my equivalent of a cabin in the woods yeah and I've been productive as fuck since I've been out here <laughs> so nice. so yeah so that's where that's where we're at in our um in nice. our lives and our astrological patterns right now yep. but we're going to talk we're going to talk about another badass Scorpio babe we are Miss awesome. Sonia Delaney mm-hmm. and man she is just something else and once again like so many badass women artists like she's even one of the more well-known ones and she's not that well known. yeah you know real. she's totally undervalued and like thank heavens for discounted book racks never walk by them just check them out especially arts related ones because I found a book about this uh, retrospective they did for her so it's from an exhibit and that's how I kind of got introduced to her and it was so random and by chance but I'm so glad I picked it up because she is a bad ass So just to start off, yeah, she was born November 14th, 1885, and actually born as Sarah Elivant, I'm gonna mess this up, Elivna Stern, Elivna, Sarah Elivna Stern. So she was born to a Jewish family in Odessa, Ukraine, 
only lived there for the beginning of her life before she moved in with her uncle in St. Petersburg. So she moves to Russia in 1892 at age seven and begins going by Sophia Turk, T-E-R-K, but everyone called her Sonia. <laughs> so she goes by lots of names. Why not? I know, right? <laughs> so she's been, pretty much been going by Sonia since age seven. You know, she grew up in Russia with her uncle, and that's where she started to be a little more exposed to museums and art and culture. And um, as you can guess, she's starting to learn multiple languages. At age 19, she moves to Heidelberg, Germany, and starts studying painting at the Academy of Fine Arts in Karlsruhe. Karlsruhe? My German's a little rusty. Um, With Professor Ludwig Schmidt-Root. And yeah, so she's studying art in Germany. So now we're up to three languages, guys. She's a badass. I'm going to say that like a hundred times on this episode. 1906, she moves to Paris. And I think she learned French before she moved to Paris, but now she's speaking four languages. And Dang. Yeah, I know, right? Pretty quickly moving to Paris, she begins moving around in these avant-garde circles. I'm sure you guys have heard all about these. If anyone, who, not anyone who knows anything about art, that sounds so <laughs> patronizing, but like... <laughs> Um, but, you know, that's, like, kind of the cliche. Yeah, Like, when yeah. you think about art, you think of, like, the Impressionists, and you think of mm-hmm. Paris, and these people sitting in apartments, you know, co- covered in art. and Just art everywhere. Or, or like, yeah. or little Parisian coffee shops. Exactly. And just discussing art and literature. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, uh, she gets into these circles from this art critic and collector named Wil- Wilhelm Oud. U-H-D-E. Also, Robert Delaney, who would be her future husband. Interesting, actually, she married both of these men. (laughs) William Oud was gay. She married him pretty quickly after arriving in Paris because her family wanted to bring her back to St. Petersburg. And so she got married to kind of be like, I have a life here, and I'm not just, like, shitting around. (laughs) Look at me being responsible. (laughs) So it was was a purely, purely business, not business, what would that be? Just a, what's, marriage of convenience? Yeah, like, or like necessity. Yeah, yeah, it's like there's um no romance, just no. A, it's got it a... It was a platonic marriage because she wanted to stay in Paris. I think we'll have to do a full episode on this guy, Ud. He seems amazingly interesting. And he's one of the first people to exhibit Cubist work and collect it. And he lost two separate art collections to both world wars. <laughs> so, That's so crazy. Yeah. But, I just, like, I'm proud of him for not giving up. Right. For just, like, yeah. having, like, that's what you gotta do. Like, the World War takes, like, your whole your whole life, and then you're like, fuck it, let's do it again. Yeah, like, like that's, that's, that's someone who's collecting for the love of art, not for profit. Yeah. He wanted to be around the arts. So she's moving around in these circles with Oud and Robert Delaney, who, again, she would marry in 1910. Her uh, marriage with Oud was in 1908. And they very quickly, uh, it's, it's so confusing when they have the same last name, yeah. Sonia Delaney and Robert Delaney very quickly become um, one of these really... Got <laughs> some champagne Corey on the mic. Yeah, <laughs> just sped the mic some champagne. I was trying to make like the cool, the cool like bubbly noise into the mic. Maybe you caught it. Yeah. I don't know, but there's now champagne all over the mic. But it's whatever. Okay. <laughs> I probably needed it. Cheers. Yeah, so... Their living room pretty quickly becomes an international hub for the avant-garde and literature, arts, what have you. And their artistic search centered on an art of pure color modulated by light, rhythm, and movement, which was called simultaneous. Can you help me? Simultanism is how how I've been pronouncing it. There's an extra syllable in there that I don't like. Simultanism, yeah. Simultanism. Yeah, because like I think the it comes from the impetus. Yeah, is to say simultaneism, but I don't think simultanism. That... See, I just wanted to say simultism. I don't like that. And yeah. simultanism. So coming from simultaneous. So the idea is colors kind of existing simultaneously. And this movement was compared to Bauhaus. Bauhaus theory. Which we will also do a whole. Yeah, episode which is kind of crazy. We haven't done that. Yet. I know that'll saving it. We should throw that. We don't to like the to be predictable. <laughs> so Bauhaus, like in the way that they wanted to bring fine art into everyday life, they didn't want there to be mm-hmm. such a clear distinction between what is fine art 
in what is decorative or craft or design, any of these things, they wanted to merge them. That's what's up. Yeah, like, right? So, you know, the Delaney's eyes, craft and art were the same thing. There's no hierarchy. There's, they're the same. That's what up. Exactly. Throwback to thesis series, craft and morality. Yes. There's, all of these things are interwoven, guys. They're all connected. Not to jump in on you, are you going to yeah, talk yeah. about orphism at all? Oh, no, go ahead. Okay. I was just going to mention that it also goes by the name Orphism. Um, so, simultanism is, as Nat was saying, is essentially this idea that was created, spearheaded by the Delaunays, both Sonia and Robert. Um, and the idea was matching primary and second- secondary colors that often would create, like, visual vibration. Basically, it was all, yeah, it was all about simultaneous color. It was all about putting colors side by side mm-hmm. and the effects of them. Robert Delaunay used the term simul, simul, simultanism. <laughs> that, was, that was his word that came from simultaneous contrast. However, the same idea has also been defined as orphism, which is a term that was coined by poet and art critic uh, Guillaume uh, Polonais. To him, the work that they were doing, it was a subsect of... Cubism. Mm -hmm. It was a form of cubism, but to him, he saw music happening with Mm -hmm. the different colors and, like, the Fauvist influence. So he considered this work that was um, dealing with simultaneous contrast to be very musical. And so Orphism is a reference to uh, the poet and singer of Greek myth, Orpheus. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, Orphism. Orphism you'll probably hear more often, honestly, because it was used in actual art criticism. But as... As we all know, artists don't like the names that art critics no. give their work. Um, so, sim- so they came up with their own. Yeah, so so uh, the Dolanes went with uh, simultanism. Yes. There we go. Exactly. That's a perfect segue. I'll just talk a little bit more about simultanism. That was, I said that one really weird. Simultanism. <laughs> simultanism. Simultanism. <laughs> oh, gosh. Like, we got to look up one of those pronunciation YouTube I things know, after right? this. Simultanism. Yeah, I agree. It should just be like simultism or something. I feel yeah. like it's just, there's too much. It was coined by the Delaunays, but it was derived originally from theories in Michel-Eugène Chevreul. Uh, that's my best French book on the law of simultaneous contrast of colors written in 1839 where Chevrolet identifies the phenomenon of colors looking different depending on the colors around them so their paintings the Delaunay's consist of interlocking or overlapping patches or planes of contrasting or complementary colors so again in Chevrolet's theory and in reality Contrasting colors brought together um, enhance one another, giving the painting greater intensity and vibrance of color. So that's what they're aiming to do with these paintings is kind of create an intensity and a vibrance using pure color and moving away from form. So very similar to Fauvism. Exactly, yeah. Sonia Delaunay in particular, back when she was Sonia Turk, became aware of and infatuated with Fauvism when she moved to St. Petersburg when she was a little bit younger. So, um, and then I think that was, or maybe it wasn't St. Petersburg, maybe it was Germany. That would make a little more sense. She was older. Um, yeah, because she did, she did, there was a lot of influence from Ukraine and Russia in her work. Yeah. Which is one of, which is something that makes her so unique and why she should be talked about more is that she has this Russian influence but then came to her exact style and what she's known for in Paris. So she had, like, this beautiful mix of what it meant to be, like, a Parisian woman and a Russian woman. Like, she never let go of that Russian influence, and um, that set her apart in Paris because she was able to kind of embody both of these strong women personality is in such a cool way. Definitely, and it was also just a melding of the avant-garde with the folk yeah. Which is so, so important to her work and so, I think, mm-hmm. central to what she was about is that she was taking she was taking influences from intense theories of abstraction that people like Picasso and stuff are mm-hmm. working off of. But then she's also taking influence from Ukrainian folk costume. Yeah. And it's just like, I don't know, she just had a very strong understanding of the fact that, like, 
art doesn't have to be defined by how smart you are. No. Or, like, it comes from all places. And yeah. Yeah, she's just, she's amazing. Totally, <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, I've been harping on this language thing, but... So she ended up speaking French, German, English, Russian, and Spanish. So, and anyone who's bi, tri, whatever lingual you are... Polygots. Polygots. These polygots, like... <laughs> Your brain is able to think in ways that people who are monolingual cannot. Mm-hmm. So there's um been a lot of research on that actually. People that speak more than one language are found to be more creative mm-hmm. than people that just speak one. It's mm-hmm. just a fact. Use your brain. I mean, you're literally able to express things that other people cannot express. Exactly. Like, it's cool. That's amazing. So she's engaged in the French and Russian avant-garde. She overlaid Russian themes and techniques on French stylistic motifs. Motifs. Motives. <laughs> Guys. Champagne getting to you? No. I don't think it's the champagne. I just You've had a busy me. day. I know. How many miles have you already driven today? Like, a oh, ton. God. <laughs> a ton. And I've been up since 4. Oh, I've been up since 3.30, so mm. I got you there. But I haven't I really gone anywhere, so. Yeah, but still. You still win. <laughs> um, this was something I thought was really cool. So, in tradition with the Russian aesthetic movement, which was an avant-garde movement, going on in Russia, creative couples were, were uh, meant to dedicate their lives to a joint artistic goal, which I think perfectly defines the Delanis if you read about oh, them. Yeah. They were they were an artistic power couple, for sure. Yeah, like, he gets a lot of the credit, but, like, from what I've read, I think that he really respected her oh, and, definitely. Like, depended on her a lot and considered her his complete partner. Like, I, I don't this know. This was not, like, a slighted wife situation. Yeah. History did that to her, not Exactly. Not her. I mean, I don't know very much about Robert Delaney, but I don't know that I would um, blame him for that. I think that was just, mm-hmm. a, just a fuck the patriarchy mm-hmm. moment, you know, where... Unfortunately, like, yeah, you're probably more familiar with the name Robert Delaunay than Sonia Delaunay. I was. Mm-hmm. Like, I he gets the credit. He gets a lot of the praise when her work was just as, if not more so, interesting than his. Like, she crossed over into places that he didn't cross over into. And really, the reality of it is not necessarily that I'm not saying she was better than him or he was better than her. Like, they were... A, power couple, yeah. you know, but just at a time in history where the power couple wasn't really a thing. You know? And and the problem of even though to them craft and art were interchangeable and there wasn't a superiority of painting or fine art, that doesn't mean that the rest of the world is going to look on it that way. So while she was doing more crafty endeavors like she moved from painting into needlework and then got into textiles and I mean she did so many different mediums she did she learned I think when she was back in Paris she learned um printing she learned how to do yeah she did illustration yeah she did mosaics mm-hmm. she just did everything she did I have it. this really good quote that I think just kind of fits into what we're talking about and it's just amazing so um I'm going to bring it up right now. Mm -hmm. I always changed everything around me. I made my first white walls so our paintings would look better. I designed my furniture. I have done everything. I have lived my art. Boom. Yeah. Like, her life was art. It was. And it's like... Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, around 1912, 1913, she begins dipping into other art forms other than painting and a little bit more traditional, so printing and illustration. She does this collaboration, which is beautiful here. Let me pull it out for you. With Blaise Sendrars, who is a poet. That's a dope name. Yeah. And so, here it is. Boom. You can kind of flip through it in a few pages around here. Ooh, yeah, while I talk about ooh, it. Ooh, I, I love all of this. So, is that watercolor? Actually, here, can you read the title? Because you'll say it way prettier than me. Oh, uh, will I? <laughs> oh, shit. I don't even know what the word is. Um, la prose de France Berrien et de la Petite Géant de France. Say that. <laughs> what do you mean, will I? That was so much better. I don't know. That was like a good moment. My, that my, was good. My French accent isn't always there, but it was kind of there. Maybe it's the champagne. <laughs> it was you. 
was I feel like I'm so much better at other languages. Like, my Spanish is so much better when I'm drunk. Hey. Like, I, I just, like, mm-hmm. I just let it come out. My Italian used to be a lot better when I was drunk. Yeah, well, I just don't question it. I just, yeah. like, let the words come out. And that's and, so, I mean, it's it's the doubt that really catches you yeah. up, and that's why you freeze up. Exactly. But, but anyway, so this poem, this it was a 445-line poem, and the collaboration was that she painted over the printed poem. And it's... Uh, a two meter long sheet of paper, so it's um, it's like a banner. She colored over it with stencil. They did this in 1913, and it is just so cool to look it at. It is cool. Um, and I feel like we, I mean, you've seen things like this since, but like, imagine in 1913. Yeah, like, exactly. It's like, so you know how like, I mean, I guess it's a little different than that because it's like in the margins and stuff. But like, you know how like blackout poetry mm-hmm. got really big. Mm-hmm. It's like that, but like way more colorful and fun. Like there's watercolors, like just yeah. filling things in. It's equal parts fun and like thought out, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's got a really nice composition to it. But it doesn't look too structured. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's whimsical. It's beautiful. It's very whimsical. And I love a good dose of whimsy. Yeah. Oh, it's, man. It's awesome. And then, I love this one. She made a... Uh, okay, so simultaneous. They start calling things that they make simultaneous in names in the name of sim- simultanism. Um, so simultaneous waistcoats and dresses... For herself and her husband to wear to dance halls. Love it. There's, if you keep going, there's pictures of her at, in that back close to where the... Um, yeah, and that became... Was. I wrote that down, actually. That became an actual, like, term yeah. in fashion. Simultaneous dresses. Yeah. And the, and she started um, her own label called Atelier's Simultane. And she decorated their entire apartment around this time with... Uh, simultaneous objects. So oh my cushions, God. lampshades, boxes, and a wooden toy box for their son. I so love her so much. She really just <laughs> did everything. And, like, that's why... Where do I get this swimsuit? I know. I want that she's, so bad. She's wonderful. Um, and this umbrella? Like, oh, a shit. lot of the stuff that she made around this time, men, like, would never do. So mm-hmm. that's, like, this merging of art and craft is so important. And, Definitely. Like, Robert Delaunay would have never gotten into needlework and <laughs> textiles and all this stuff. It just, like, wasn't... I mean, it would have been cool if he had, but... But at this... Especially at this time in history, needlework was defined as a as women's yeah. work. Yeah. Especially, like, even though historically that wasn't always the case, at this time it was. Yeah. Definitely. And so it was almost like where being a woman could have put restrictions on her, it, like, opened the door to yeah. so much more um, in her case, which, thank goodness for that. There's a lot of possibility when you're not being held back by patriarchal expectations. Mm-hmm. When you're just like, hey, I'm just a human, and I'm going to do what I want, and, and I, I don't care if you're going to define it as manly or womanly or whatever. Yeah, you know? it probably didn't hurt that she was already, like, a educated painter like mm-hmm. she was trained in painting so she already had that down she was like oh the masculine stuff i got that yeah exactly. let me move on to some more challenging yeah. shit oh cubism <laughs> okay yeah. <laughs> and while while all the like male avant-garde cubist artists are like fighting over you know which African faces they're going to appropriate. She was, like, making actual shit, you yes. know? <laughs> From cultures that she actually understood because she <laughs> lived them. <laughs> Revolutionary. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I love this because this woman speaks so many languages, but she found color to be an authentic substitute for the expressive deficiencies of language. Hell yeah. So she speaks five languages, and she's like, nope. Color. Yeah. <laughs> I love that so yeah. much. Yeah. So in in the uh, poem that we looked at earlier, La Prose, La Prose du Chassier Bien. I fucked that up, Corey. <laughs> Rewind and listen to how Corey said it. Um, that was the first attempt to transcribe the spoken word of color. And I think she did an amazing job. Yeah. I, I wish I could read that poem. It mentions Chagall, I noticed, which I was very excited about. Oh. I love Chagall so much. Yeah, he is... be a fun project for you to sit down and go yeah. through and be good for me. I need yeah. to practice my French really bad. That's on that like Chagall is also like Jewish fauve mm-hmm. painter. Like I there's some 
Well, Sonia Delaney's work is, is just definitely different. She worked more in just shapes and mm-hmm. Chagall had kind of a surrealist bend to his work and he had actual like figures in a lot of his work. So there's definitely differences, but, but I think they, they overlapped well, in and, some things. Yeah, Sindrars wrote the poem. So it would make sense that if he was attracted to Chagall mm. and that's something that he was interested in, that he would want to work with Delaney. And, exactly. Like, yeah. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. Looking for any dope gifts for the holiday season it's coming up it is coming right around the corner oh man that's true (laughs) (laughs) for those of you who forgot it's it's that time of year (laughs) we're getting we're getting to that point and we have a new fun thing we're doing featured artist what it's so exciting it's actually very exciting our featured artist for the holiday season, Faith Sponsler. <laughs> we are obsessed with Love her. her. She's amazing. She's a friend, a muse, an alchemist. An alchemist. Artist. I would call her um, something of a wizard. A mage. Yeah. A, oh, wizard, oh. a wizard or a mage. She has done a collaboration with us, which she created beautiful. Color changing art history babes prints. Limited edition. Limited edition. There's not a ton of them, so you're going to want to get one. Get them while you can. I want that. They're great. They're, They're really beautiful. fun. Yeah. She did I an love amazing her job. color changing prints. They're the coolest. Like you just put them in some tea or some coffee and watch it change it, before your voila. eyes. It's beautiful. Magic. The whole process is super fun. And you get to be involved in the art, which is yes. always a cool thing. You will be a patron of the arts. Yeah. And Those so- wealthy Italian men in, in Vatican City in the Renaissance, you'll be like them. Exactly. That's what buying one of these prints will make you. Basically. <laughs> You're basically a, a cardinal. <laughs> <laughs> Head over to arthistorybabes.com. Click on our featured artist tag. You can read all about Faith and her work. Yes. And you can buy as many prints as long as supplies last. Yes. Mm-hmm. Limited supply. Act fast. <laughs> 1914 Robert and Sonia went on vacation to the Basque countryside and war began (laughs) so they decided to stay in Spain Um, and they moved to Madrid Robert had been dismissed or like excused from Mm -hmm. fighting in war due to some sort of I don't know exactly what it was he had some some uh, disability yeah that uh, excused him from war. So he was good. He was off the hook, but they moved Because I'm an artist. <laughs> Can't enter my hands. They move into a villa that they call La Villa Simultania. Um, that's cute. Yeah, how cute is that? And... I wonder if they use that as, like, a metaphor for their relationship. Like, simultaneous contrast. Aww. That's cute. That is really cute. <laughs> I hope they did. Yeah, me too. That's also a really good band name. Yeah, but it would also be... And we great. are Simultaneous Contrast. <laughs> That's a great band name. Someone start a band and give us credit. Please do. And then send us concert Also, tickets. like, that's... Yeah, because a lot of people read their work as being very musical, so you could do a lot of things with that. Totally. I, mean, I was just about to say, that'd be a great... Um, a great essay like oh, yeah. about the two of them, just like mm-hmm. an essay about their relationship and Simultaneous Contrast, or a book, full book. These Full people, books. these these people deserve a book. We already talked about writing a Hilma F. Clint book, but we'll do a we'll do a Delaney, the Delaneys by the, the Art History Delaneys. Babes. It'll be called. Wait, what was it? Simultaneous contrast. <laughs> yes, the power couple. That's it. I was gonna keep going. But that's it. Um, so in 1916, they moved to Portugal. They're all over the place, but they moved back to Barcelona in 1917. And then back to Madrid. So these, they were very transient people. Mm-hmm. Um, like all good artists. Yeah. And I, I didn't write this down. Back a few years before that, they had a child. So they have a son that they're also kind of hopping around with. Um, so this kid is destined to be a 
fucking awesome human being. And their son, yeah, he was. He became a, um, a master of jazz mu- mu- music. Jazz of course music. he did. Um, he, he knows a lot about jazz music. I don't know if he's still alive or not. Is that possible? What year did she? Yeah, she didn't die that long. I mean, not that long ago. It was it's possible. Uh, 1979. I mean. Yeah, so maybe he's still alive. I'm not really sure. Uh, well, let me think. It's possible. He'd be, he'd be old. Old, yeah. Because <laughs> they had him in 19... I think it was around 1913 or 1914. Okay, it's possible, but... Mm. <laughs> but he's not listening to we the hope, podcast. Yeah, we <laughs> hope you're doing well if you're yes, out there. Um, but his existence was also very important in uh, Sonia's development of her art and how it developed past painting. Yeah, um, you tell. Because... So, as we said, she was trained as a painter. She painted before she really moved into any of these other art forms, um, any of these, like, folk art forms. And in 1911, wait, he was born in 1913? No, it might have been 1911. I just, I estimated with, like, trying to remember where in my notes. I was like, oh, they have a son. (laughs) Because I didn't write it down. In 1911, I'm guessing this is the year that her son was born. In 1911, she made a quilt for her son Mm -hmm. that was influenced by those she had seen in the houses of Russian peasants. And as she was making it, she felt that it evoked a lot of Cubist conceptions and Cubist ideas in the way that the colors worked with each other, contrasted each other, and that really pushed her in this direction of working in the applied arts, working yeah. in furniture, working in quilts, working in fashion. And also this, I think, is an interesting throwback to our color theory episode when I talked about that quilt exhibit that I went to. Yeah! Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, that's um, the cradle quilt. That's it. Oh my god. It's really cool. We'll post a picture of this. Yeah. Most definitely. This is a really cool quilt. I love the colors. Yeah, me too. And they probably were brighter back when she made it, but I kind of like what they've faded to. Yeah, and the shapes, she definitely played with shapes in this yeah. quilt a lot. Yeah. You um, want a cradle quilt from <laughs> Sonia Delaney? I wonder how much that one oh goes for God. right now. Yeah, so she made this quilt for her son, which kind of pushed her into the applied arts. And yeah, like I said, I think that relates to what we talked about in the color theory episode with historically how just the art of quilt making has interacted with color theory Mm -hmm. in really important ways. And it's just been totally overlooked because they're quilts and how can quilts be art, right? Yeah. You know? Um, But like this quilt that we were just talking about, she's dealing with these abstract shapes. She's playing with a very intentional color palette. It's a really beautiful quilt, and Mm -hmm. it's clearly cubist in nature, and it just so happens that she's doing it, you know, by sewing and not on a canvas, which is more interesting, in my opinion, than a bunch of guys doing the same cubist painting over and over again, you know? She started there, but then she expanded. Yeah, exactly. Cheers to Charles Delaunay. Charles Delaunay. For... For uh, helping um, influence Sonia to kind of move in that direction. Because, as like, her paintings are great. And I think they are. We're going to talk a little more in depth about them. But at the same time, I am just as, if not more so, compelled by her work in other arenas. Because yeah. I think it shows a lot of creativity. Yeah, and we kind of skipped over this, or I kind of skipped over this. She also designed some book bindings and covers. Oh my which, god, she's yeah. so cool! I know. How? She really, you hear about people who let their art kind of transcend into everything they do in life, but, like, there aren't many artists that you can see that, like, really do that. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I'm thinking, like, William Morris, like, like, everything is art. (laughs) And Sonia Delaney. Yeah. I can't really think of anyone else off the top of my head that was so dedicated to just, like, touching everything. Yeah. And that, once again, going back to some of the ideas in, like, our craft and morality episode, that's why all you crafters out there are very important. Because you're trying to make beautiful stuff out of everyday objects and just, like, make your life a beautiful work of art. And, unfortunately, that's not quite as uh, appreciated as it should be. I'm hoping that maybe it will start to be yeah. in our generation. I think that... Well, I mean, obviously, like, crafting's a huge thing right now. Yeah, you know? and, and I I hope that art historians... I mean, we will, so F everyone else who won't. <laughs> and I mean, but there like, are. Well, there are. There are some amazing art historians that focus solely on craft theory. Yeah. They, it is a thing. 
I'm excited for it to possibly just, like, be talked about, like, not its just, own. Uh, me yeah, too! Because there's still, I, I talked about this on my thesis episode, but there is still this impetus to even buy the best the best craft historians, they still want to define craft as separate from art. Like, there's just this desire to keep it separate. Yeah. And I... Maybe it's so that they can be on top of their field. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> like, but there's can, just this desire, because even though they're arguing, there were multiple books I read where they're arguing that craft deserves this attention and it deserves all these things, but they're still arguing that there's a distinction. And I'm like, why though? <laughs> like, why is there a distinction between a painting and a beautiful beautiful hand-sewn gown like why is there like it's art like let's just stop with the semantics it's art yeah. you know well and we're getting to a point that it's I mean we've talked about this a little bit lately with like modern works and we talked about Cy Twombly's mm-hmm. paint the pure white painting mm-hmm. and like you know we're really deep in conceptual and stuff but like the stuff that's often considered craft is like Stuff that could be lasting in use. Yeah. And artists now are making things that are meant to be, like, uh, temporary and that are meant to be disintegrate or fall apart eventually. It's like you're twisting what the arts and crafts movement just did. Yeah. (laughs) Like, but was actually useful. Yeah. That's one of the number one distinctions between quote-unquote craft and modern art and that a lot of these scholars make is that oh well modern art's conceptual and craft is utilitarian and who says that something utilitarian can't also be conceptual yeah <laughs> like just because I can use a mug to like drink something that doesn't mean there can't be a concept attached to it yeah you know like they can be both yeah it's possible <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes it just seems like we have to go so far around the main point of something to appreciate it. I know, right? We have to go all the way around to come back to it and be like, oh, okay. I guess that is art. So true. Um, uh, So I guess the last little bits that I wanted to throw out were that in 1917, the Bolsheviks seized the property owned by Sonia Delaney's family. So all of her, like inheritance of family money is gone. (laughs) Yeah, so, like, up until this point, I don't know if you really stressed this, but up until this point, they were kind of, like, living off of family money, but also I think they were, like, renting property and stuff, too. But, like, they had that beautiful opportunity to just be artists. Yeah. They didn't have to have jobs. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had that freedom, and now that is gone. And this is the same year that she begins to form a friendship with Tristan Tara, so connected to the Dada movement, wrote the Dada Manifesto. He's a big deal. Last cool tidbit, in 1918, she designed all the costumes for the Ballet Rue Cleopatra in London, and her husband designed all the sets. So, like, power couple. Simultaneous contrast. Right? So, kind of going off of that, I have just a few more things to add. Yeah, so 1917, all of her properties are seized, and they have to, you know, kind of figure out a way to make a consistent income. And so that also kind of helped launch them into this applied arts thing. So Sonia starts making a living off of costume design and things. And so she she designs this the costumes for this ballet. Robert does the sets. Uh, in 1918, she opens Casa Sonia, which was an interior and fashion boutique. Awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, 1923, she did the set and costume design for Tristan Zara's play, La Cour Agaz. 1926, she did an illustration for a Vogue cover, mm-hmm. which is a super cool illustration. Here, I, just, I have a picture of one of their costumes. Oh, I love it. Isn't that amazing? That's so fun. Yeah. They're like, they're so boxy, but like in the best way. They make The actors look like cartoons. I would have loved to see some of that early 20th century theater. Yeah. Like, it was was weird. Like, it was really weird. Like, people, I think, underestimate the weird stuff they were doing at that time theatrically. And just to throw in, too, before you move on, she also designed a book binding, because she did that, (laughs) for Tristan Tara's Dano Uza. But yeah, and then she continued, she did costumes and furniture for several films. And it was something that did kind of continue throughout her life, but so did painting. She was involved in both the first and second wave of abstraction. So she was still making work, you know, during that whole second wave of abstract expressionists and and Mm -hmm. things like that. Let's see, we talked about the simultaneous dresses. So she gave 
some pretty important things to the fashion world. Like, yeah. things that are still being played with today and still influenced today. I mean, her patterns alone, you guys, are just awesome. They're so cool. They're, like, if you like anthropology, <laughs> the store, mm-hmm. like... I wonder if they've ever, like, made something influenced by her work. Oh, they have to. Yeah. Like, if you flip through this, they have to. And, Mm -hmm. like, I'm pretty strictly a window shopper at Anthropology. Yeah, it's pretty spendy. Yeah. Every once in a while, there's something slightly affordable. I was going (laughs) to say, I've gotten gift cards back when I was a a youth, and my mom bought me clothes. I had a few things from there. Since since becoming an adult, I don't really shop <laughs> yeah. there anymore. It's pretty pretty heartbreaking. I feel you. But <laughs> beautiful stuff. I mean, I honestly actually enjoy just going in and looking around because mm-hmm. it's just pretty. Yeah. And the I, stores are really well. They're really well curated. They're really. <laughs> that would be imagine being a store designer mm-hmm. for an anthropology and just getting to go around and oh that'd be fun kind of like yeah set displays for anthropology yeah. stores they are fun stores to go yeah in. just be like you couldn't be an angry person that reminds me of that episode of the office where it's when will ferrell is <laughs> the he takes his interim boss yeah he's an interim boss um hold on i know his name d'angelo vickers <laughs> yeah D'Angelo Vickers, and he hires that random-ass girl to work there, and everyone's like, what? And her only job before that was working at Anthropology. I and don't Kel- remember that, but I wish I did. <laughs> and Kelly was like, you worked at Anthropology? <laughs> it's like, how do I get that job? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I love The Office. An, an amazing side. Yeah. Project. Who doesn't love The Office, though? Let's be real. Um, yeah. I want to name my future dog D'Angelo Vickers. That's a great... Honestly, it'd be even better, though, if you got two dogs and one was D'Angelo and one was Vickers. <laughs> D'Angelo and Vickers. <laughs> and just, that's that could be, like, your test for people. Yeah, like, if yeah. Gonna, if they catch that reference, yeah, then top of the list. you're my people. Yeah. Um, few more things on our girl, Sonia. This is, this is big. 1964, she was the first living female artist to ever have a retrospective at the Louvre. I'm going to give that a second to sink in. 1964. The Louvre has been a museum since 1793. <laughs> and the first living female artist ever have a retrospective was Sonia Delaunay in 1964. And how many of you probably still didn't know her name? Yeah! such an interesting world. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Kind of just like ultimate badassery right yeah. there. Other things, the French Legion of Honor named her an mm-hmm. officer in 1975, which is one of the highest decorations that mm-hmm. they award. In 1937, her and Robert worked on the World Exhibition Pavilion in Paris, which is like right by the, uh, you know, the big uh, <laughs> Eiffel Tower. <laughs> that, that thing. You know, the big thing. there. And it obstructs um, your view of a lot of other things. <laughs> that big just- the big structure just they kidding. got. I went to the top of that thing. It's cool. I actually haven't been to the top. We yeah, I know. I, I kind of nixed it when we were just in Paris. It would have been so miserable with that heat. Yeah. I didn't even think We about did that, so but, much in Paris. Yeah. We went so hard in Paris. We did. <laughs> it was like, and that was the last day we were there. And I remember we just walked by and I like got my snap and I was like, perfect. <laughs> yeah, it was like nice because it was cooling down because later in the afternoon. I mean, we had a really beautiful view of it. Like, yeah, was, we got to see it do its little like flickery thing. I was very happy with, with my Eiffel Tower experience. I'm sure we'll go back. Also, going back to to her years in Spain and Portugal, she got into flamenco dancing. Of course she did. I know, right? Oh, God, she's so awesome. She's making me want to go, like, pick up some new skills. Like, I just want to learn to do something in the next This week. is, like... This, As an ode to Sonia Delaunay. This is one of those things, like, where I kind of feel feel very connected to her, and I think it is partially that, like, Scorpio energy in that, like, the fact that she just, like, wanted to do everything, because if there's been, like, one thing that has colored my entire life, it's been this, like, incessant desire to do everything, which is, like, really overwhelming a lot of the time, and then you end up just, like, paralyzed and doing nothing, because you're overwhelmed by all the things you want to do. Yeah, that sounds like my life right now. Yeah, that's my whole life forever. That's been my entire life, because I just am interested in so many things, and I want to do everything. But we should also give ourselves some credit, because we just got a master's degree, so. I'm I'm not saying we haven't done cool shit. We're not too paralyzed, but that feeling of being paralyzed is more overwhelming than actually accomplishing things sometimes, like, mentally... 
even if you are accomplishing things at the same time, if you mentally feel that, yeah, I, that's how I get. I'm pro- I'm not talking about you. I'm projecting right now. No, it's totally true because that's that's been. I think for a lot of my life is I'm, I, I dip my toe in all these like Mm -hmm. different pools and I'm so interested in so many things, but I also struggle with this. Like I never feel like I'm going to be amazing at anything because I break myself off into pieces. Like dance is so important to me and art is so important to me and art history is so important to me and music. And like, I just like go in a million directions and even just like nature. And like, I just feel like I'm always dividing myself up into so many directions that I'm like, I'm never truly going to be great at one thing. But then like there's badass babes like this who she just said, fuck it. And she was just awesome at, a bunch of things so like it makes me it makes me feel good that is a reality like you can still be really good at a lot of things totally well and how the world perceives your ability at things is so much different than how you perceive it yourself true she made she may not have considered herself an expert at all of these things but like from where we're standing like holy shit yeah she's amazing so much my last little thing i did want to touch on too which is another Reason why I'm just, like, feeling very soul-sistery with this woman. Because, yeah, so far, like, we... Fauvism's my fave. Yeah. Obviously, I'm, like, obsessed with craft and, like, the applied arts and stuff. So many things about her I feel very connected to. But then um, I read this interview with her, and they were talking about uh, her religion. And she didn't really define her religion, but she basically, like, summed it up to being pagan. And then she, um, there's a quote by her, Now I would worship pagan gods. It's the only religion I recognize. Praying to beauty. There's a great deal of selflessness in that, and a purely aesthetic element which alone ennobles life and makes it love. Goosebumps. I love her so much. Goosebumps. (laughs) I love her. Yeah. I just love her. She is awesome. Go to our page and look at her stuff, and then go on your own and look at her Mm -hmm. stuff. Like... She's remarkable. I mean, in her life, she was an artist in, like, many mediums. So, like, artist being very small word to define so many things. She was a designer, furniture designer, uh, fashion designer, textiles. Like, she did so many things, you she guys. She did all the things. All the I want to do all the things. She spoke all the languages. She... She gives me hope that I, too, can do all the things. I know. And hopefully she gives you hope. I was going to say, I hope she inspires some of you as much as she inspired us because it's a very warm, fuzzy feeling. It is. Should we do a couple quick listener mails? Oh, also, we didn't really get to talk about it, but we'll put it up on the website. You should also check out Yellow Nude from 1908. So a lot of her works, a lot of her paintings, she dealt a lot with colors in these concentric circles. That was kind of her thing. But then she did a nude in 1908 called Yellow Nude, which I really like a lot. It looks very fauvist. It's very Mm -hmm. colorful. And I was reading a description of it. And the writer, who, like, not trying to call out the writer or anything, but, like, the writer said, Delaunay makes no attempt to depict her as attractive, giving the artwork a brusque modern feel. And I kind of stopped and, like, sighed a little bit because I was, like... Like maybe Who's definition of attraction. Exactly because it's a maybe painting. it's a beautiful painting, and two maybe she you know wasn't making it for the male gaze yeah, like every other. Nude. That's a better way to put it. Exactly, and I was like, so what attractive are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, there's nothing unattractive about this painting. It, it really isn't. It really isn't. isn't. If it's beautiful, you're right. what he was probably hinting at is that she's not emphasizing female fertility. That's yeah, or sexuality. Yeah, but I mean, it's I kind of still sexual. I was gonna yeah. say she's wearing knee-high boots. Yeah, I'm not. I'm boots. not saying it's. Yeah, yeah. It's un like. I'm it's not saying very, it's not sexual. Yeah. but it's not sexuality in the way that in the way that of a sexual object or like sexualizing her. Exactly, it's not like presenting to a male the way a lot of nudes are and were at this time. So I think that's what the writer was getting at but wording matters and I the way I read this painting is yeah it's a female nude but it was painted by a female and it wasn't necessarily painted 
for the male gaze, which the breaststrokes alone. I know, just and just the like, colors that yeah. blue against that yellow. See, yeah, this is a great predecessor to the simultaneous painting. I'm just gonna say simultaneous. Because I can't say that word. <laughs> Simul simultanism. Simultanism. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. The colors, especially on the woman, I think are yeah incredible. That would be a great print. I would put. That oh yeah, in any living space that I all of them that I dwelled. <laughs> Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, let's do a quick listener mail. Do you want to read this? Yeah. Hi, AH Babes. Your European trip episode reminded me of an incredible experience at the Musée d'Art Moderne de la Ville de Paris. How's that? Hey. Thanks. <laughs> uh, it's the champagne. Part of your Palais de Tokyo. Part of the Palais de Tokyo. It was this weird situation where the porter slash security guys were so into a special exhibition that they were trying to talk us into going in, even though we didn't want to spend the money because we were poor students. Word. Originally, we were on a bike trip, but got drenched by a rainy summer and decided by a rainy summer and decided to stay in Paris at a campsite because we could not afford even a youth hostel. We only had $5 per day for everything, including food and accommodation. We didn't have money to go to any museums unless they were free. We went into the museum just to look around and saw someone's some sets of playing cards designed by artists. There were these two middle-aged porters who sold merch and tickets. They kept asking us why we were not going into the exhibition and told us they would give us a reduced student price without an ID, but we didn't want to go over our tiny budget. After about 20 minutes, one of the porters said he would take two of us in briefly, free of charge, to show us what what we were missing. He then gave us a three-minute lighting tour pointing excitedly to various paintings and showing us what cool stuff we were missing. We were sold on the exhibition by both the paintings and by his enthusiasm. We went over budget and bought the tickets. The special exhibition was abstract paintings by Jean Uh, It was the first time for me that I really got into abstract art and it probably wouldn't have happened without those two porters in the museum. It was all the cooler because they were not curators or artsy-fartsy types you get at art galleries. They were just two working-class porter guys who really liked where they worked. The paintings were really impressive in person and in a way you can't really explain. Images on the internet don't come anywhere close. I've been to the Louvre, the Hermitage, and the Uffizi, but this was definitely my coolest museum experience due to the ordinary, non-snooty people with genuine enthusiasm for art. Cheers, Marcus. Oh, That's a really that, nice story. That is a cool story. It is. And I also love just the whole, like, $5 a day Euro trip yeah. thing. Because, I mean, our budget wasn't that small, but no. we, we know what it's like to, to make your way through Europe on a tiny budget. Yeah. And that's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, that so you, many elements of that story. Yeah. Awesome. Even just, like, the rainy summer day. Like, how lovely. Thank you for sharing that with us, Marcus. Yeah. And also, Marcus has emailed us multiple times. He's a big fan, and he's emailed us with a lot of cool information. And he is also to thank for a solid improvement in our audio quality because he introduced me to Authonic, Mm -hmm. which I've been filtering our sound through before I edit and I think it has just like gave us a much better baseline to work with because our last few episodes have sounded way better. Yeah. So all (laughs) of you out there who have had issue with our sound, which we totally understand, you send warm thoughts to sweet Marcus. (laughs) Yeah, Marcus has helped a lot. Yeah. Um, And then, I mean, yeah, I think our sound has been really good recently and then once we get our new equipment going it should be should be solid Mm -hmm. i have felt like there have been very little issues since that great tip coming from marcus so thank you so much for listening and for sending your stories our way we very much appreciate it definitely Alright. Um, yeah, so if you have any stories you want to share with us, arthistorybabes at gmail.com. Make sure to get on our subscriber list. Go to arthistorybabes.com slash contact, and we will be sending out monthly newsletters. Monthly, guys, so don't worry about, like, getting on something where you get spammed with a ton of stuff. We don't have time to spam. Yeah, like, we really don't. It's not going to happen. But if you're a fan of the podcast, you know, just a little monthly up-to-date 
Exactly. Keep you up to date. Keep you in the know. Um, So that should be pretty fun. Get on our subscriber list. Also, if you want extra episodes, head over to our Patreon. Patreon.com slash arthistorybabes. We've been getting a lot of really great patronage the past few weeks since we've started doing these extra episodes. And so we're ramping up the extra episodes. So Exactly. We're going to do minimum one a month, but we're going to try and do more than one a month when we can. So and the more people that are interested, the more incentive we have to get those extra episodes exactly. out. Exactly. The more patrons we have, the more we want to make our patrons happy. Uh, so definitely head over there. Patreon.com slash arthistorybabes. Don't forget to write us a review on iTunes. Also got some new new reviews that are super sweet. Oh my god, we've got some really cute ones lately. All of the social medias, Tumblr, Facebook, like us, uh, Instagram. We we did a we did a Instagram live yeah, recently. So we're trying to do that kind of stuff. It's pretty fun. I like yeah. it. It's kind of a neat way to connect. So mm-hmm. um, Instagram at Art History Babes Podcast, Twitter at Art History Babes. You know, just you just get get on our level, yeah. basically. <laughs> we promise to keep entertaining you on yeah. all platforms. We will keep it going. So, yeah, thank you so much for listening to our episode about Sonia Delaney, the badassest of the badass babes. Right? She is the queen of color, you guys. Uh, the queen of color. So cool. Yeah, and we will catch you later. Thanks. Bye. structured I don't know yeah, it's, yeah. it's whimsical it's beautiful it's very whimsical and I love a good dose of whimsy yeah oh it's, man it's awesome Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.